You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. The Catholic Psyche Podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended to take the place of medical or mental health treatment, therapy, or diagnosis. You should always consult a trained mental health or medical professional for such treatment. You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. This is Deacon Basil. This is Chris. This is Sarah. And Sharik. And yeah, it's been a little bit of a, it's been a little while, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, as as you know, we take questions for our Monday short answer. I mean, I'm sure all of our listeners know this. Uh-huh. Um, we take our questions on Mondays for, uh, you know, just general question and answers. And uh, one of them came through and said, are you guys okay? And I'm really touched by that. Yeah, um, it's, it's been very cute. thoughtful. A, a, quite a long time. And this wasn't actually intentional, um, at least on my part. But if you guys notice, we stopped posting right around um, Easter and mm-hmm. Pascha uh, in the East. And there's a reason for that. If you are an, an Eastern Catholic deacon therapist, uh, it gets a little busy. And we kind of made, I think, I think the right decision, but a, a, a difficult decision to kind of take a step back for a period of time. And now we're back in the saddle and don't anticipate any issues until next Easter, next Easter or Christmas or theophany or, you know, whatever. We'll, uh, we'll kind of figure that out. We do appreciate our listeners checking in and, on us. And from really time appreciate time. it. And we're sorry we didn't warn you beforehand. We'll do the better next time. Well, these things are unexpected, yeah. but we're back. And we've got all four of us here in the room with new microphones. So Guys, they're yeah. super shiny. Maybe that comes through on the audio. I hope yeah. it does, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a lot of money down, down the drain. Yeah. Um, okay, so what was the topic? I think we chatted a little bit beforehand. Sheree, what was the topic? <laughs> Thank you. The topic is empathy. And did you say, was that your suggestion, Sheree? Yes, it was it's my suggestion. It's a great one. It's a good topic. It, it's been on my mind for a while just because it comes up so much, especially in couples counseling. Oh, yeah. And so, which is a bulk of what I do. So I was just like, we got to talk about this because I think. People misunderstand empathy Hmm. and what it is so much um, in today's society. So, one, I'd like to kind of set people straight a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, empathy, I mean, this is not what you're saying, but I just (laughs) want to kind of reiterate for all of us lowly LPCs um, in the room that uh, empathy is also about uh, in in individual work as well. It's really one of those kind of foundational principles within all counseling practices. Um, my supervisor talks about how you really have like the great triad of psychotherapy and it's empathy, congruence, and positive regard. Um, <laughs> and that empathy being the principal thing. Um, right. And I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I have been taking a little step back from from life. That makes it sound depressing. Um, but I've been <laughs> a step back and really kind of, you know, I take things for granted all the time that I know all of these things, especially like with the Gospels, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I assume sure. I know, I know the story of the Good Samaritan, so I don't really have to even read it. I could, I right. could even, I even have written homilies before for the Good Samaritan without even reading the text before because oh, I know the story. And I think things like empathy, I mean, I know what empathy is is at least in my thinking, but do I actually know what it means or do I just have a bunch of baggage around it? You know, is that anybody else's experience? Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of that recognition, okay, I know what empathy is, but do I act in relation or in congruence to empathy or am I reacting in a a kind of a different way? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I like the way you put that. Like there's a difference between knowing something and living within that knowledge. 
Right. And, and I specifically use reaction because a lot of times we are reacting to either individually to our own thoughts. And so what I find people struggle with is actually being empathetic to themselves, especially an individual or reacting to what somebody else has said. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. I had the just now the empathy of knowing that our listeners will wonder why some of us are quieter and some of us are louder, and it's some of the microphones. So you have to see the logo of the microphone in right. front of you. Oh, okay. Okay. And then you're facing. See, this is this is the first time unidirectional the and condenser uh, microphone. Boy, is it exciting! Yeah, it's so uh, shiny. Right. Okay. So the difference between knowing something and living it out. Right. Would so would we say empathy is like a virtue you can live out? Would you say that? Yeah, I think I would. It's a habit of relation to others. Okay. Yeah, and I would even say it's it's a conscious almost skill. Hmm. Because it really takes effort mm-hmm. in getting outside of oneself. Sure. To to be empathetic. So it might be a subset of the virtue of charity. Interesting. But okay. I think I would Deacon. Yeah, but I think I think the the distinction that we're kind of drawing here, because I think they're both two sides of the same coin. And I'm curious, though, on the one hand, to say it's a virtue means that it has sort of the habitual aspect to it, right? Um, and then on the other hand, though, at least for um, for myself in my program mm-hmm. in grad school, um, I think probably for for Sarah, your program, mm-hmm. um, there's like, and I don't know about your guys, but um, <laughs> there's like specific plans on how to implement empathy, like, and help develop empathy within the therapist, which then it does have a sort of skill-based aspect to it. And I think perhaps part of that is, is that it's, it's both together, like the virtues, for example, justice, um, you have, uh, the sort of virtue, the habit of being just, but then you also have tools on how to think justly, um, as well. And I think those are both go together. Yeah. I mean, virtues are learned and practiced. We've talked about in previous podcasts Mm -hmm. and, I remember actually being troubled at one point that empathy does not show up on kind of the list of the four cardinal or three theological right. virtues. It's not really, you don't hear explicitly that word empathy used in the modern sense by like many of the church fathers or the scholastic theologians. Um, you mean Aquinas doesn't have a whole dissertation on this? Well, so <laughs> it's it's implicit, actually. And I was reading uh, a book by Alistair McIntyre, uh, Dependent Rational Animals. Ooh. And in that book, I, I don't. I didn't bring it with me and I don't remember exactly what he says, but in that book, there's a part where it's implied that actually empathy is a kind of precondition for any of the virtues. When you're learning them as children, this ability to understand, you know, the other as (laughs) other who can feel and think and hurt, right. And love as you can enables you to begin the moral life. That makes sense with child development theories mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Say a little more about that because I, I think I know what you're saying. But I- well, and again, I don't want to I don't want to make too much out of the fact that it came from this dependent rational animals book because I, I might be reading into it more than what's in there. I'd have to look at this citation. But what I recall noticing is that you know this this observation that um, yeah, in the moral life you, you know, virtues don't occur in isolation. Like you said, you, you said it so beautifully just now, Sheree, it's like an interpersonal, you said something that's kind of this. Right. Habit. Or this kind of reaction. Yeah. In a way from so, somebody else. Exactly. So the virtues, the cardinal virtues, which we talk about quite a bit in our, in our episode on the books we're reading. Remember I was reading the yep. one on resilience mm-hmm. and fortitude. Um, yeah. For the virtues to work, you need, uh, you need to be in community, right? The vir- kind of the moral life works in community and, um, 
and for the and it's like reason order to the common good. So as you interact with others, you start to you know home in on these virtues and develop them and figure out how to interact with others well. And then for the Christian, how to ultimately act out of self-sacrificial service towards others. But like rewind the tape before you can start to do any of that, you have to have a recognition of the other. So if you live in like a narcissistic, I'm using that term in like the classical sense, like a narcissistic universe, you're the only actor, you're the only agent. Other people are like ephemeral. They don't actually have agency or minds of their own intentions of their own. You can't even begin to shape the virtues. You don't have the necessary relational material out of which you can fashion the virtues. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. Um. <laughs> well, I was just going to say it makes sense in the relation when I when I think of a, a like narcissist or even uh, even sociopaths in a way they they lack the ability to you know see another perspective, mm-hmm. and so it's all about okay, my experience is the only experience, and that's it. Yeah. So. Sure. Yeah. Now, and uh, some people make the distinction between cognitive empathy and emotional empathy. And uh, mm-hmm. a sociopath or psychopath might have cognitive empathy. Sure. Like, I know exactly what this person thinks, feels, and wants. And I'm going to use that for my gain and yeah. their detriment. But I won't feel their hurt or I won't feel their suffering. Yeah. And certainly they would lack uh, compassion right. as well. So th- we just threw out a bunch of different terms. Yeah. And I think we're going to get to defining yeah. those a little bit more and talking about what that looks like in regards to, you know, kind of, right, like cognitively thinking it and actually being in it or feeling it as well. And that's a really good distinction. And part of me wants to move in of what compassion or empathy, sorry, mm-hmm. empathy is like confused with. Yeah, go for it. And typically that involves pity, Mm -hmm. sympathy, or even compassion. And compassion is a little bit different than empathy. Yeah. Can you more clearly explain the difference between empathy and compassion? Because I think I confuse those two a lot. Should we start with empathy and sympathy? I don't know. What, I have what, too many terms sure. running around here. I'm just sitting here. <laughs> well, so I, I hey, feel can, like can well, I can I start? Go for it. With, go for it. So typically, how I like to view these is there's different level of engagement in in each one of these. Okay. So, and when I talk engagement, or what I like to use as involvement of with another individual, or even with myself in regards to these different feelings and emotions. So, kind of what you were th- saying cognitively, like if I'm just thinking that they're feeling that way, I'm very much disengaged from their actual experience. <laughs> I'm only thinking about it. And and moving into actually feeling it and then moving into actually doing something to help them and get them out of it or wanting to kind of even transcend it in a way and to make it even more meaningful. Um, so kind of that idea that each of these is going to move into more and more engagement or involvement. And so the, the least engaged is pity. And pity kind of looks even a little sometimes condescending or it can sound smart addict, smart alecky mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and so it's this idea that we, we kind of, we kind of recognize somebody's discomfort or distress and we acknowledge it, but we kind of see it as something that 
that they might not deserve, but they didn't really do anything to have it happen. They didn't really, there's no really no way out. There's really nothing to do about it. And so you might hear something like, I'm so sorry. Oh, like poor you, poor you. I'm that's, I was just so sorry that happened to you. That's rough, darling. Yeah. And so that's typically what pity looks like. And okay. I don't know if any of you guys would disagree or add something to that. No, I mean, I think, I think that certainly is there. And I think, I mean, I think you've already said this, but that it has the underlying sort of condescending yeah. kind of characteristic to it, um, where I might pity my, my, my children, mm-hmm. um, when it, they have to do their, their, um, chores, for example, sure. although the, the two-year-old man, I, chores <laughs> that she has to do, I'm a tyrant, but uh, my point about this is that, you know, it has that kind of, I might pity them, but that's really not like it. That's, that's, I guess it feels like that's a real base level kind of thing. Right. But when you start moving into things like, like grief, yeah. Um, one of the things that I've seen cl- like within the grief counseling that I've done is it comes off as really condescending, yeah. um, to be like, to be, to pity the people who, um, have, uh, lost someone. Right. And there's even yeah, some right. distance with it, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sad. Right. Right. And yeah, kind of that real big distance, emotional distance to that person. Mm-hmm. And I even think that sometimes what couples or even individuals get into is that the partner really wants empathy, but the other partner mistakes it for them wanting them to just feel sorry for them or pity them. And so they're unwilling to even give any kind of reaction because they think they just want to be like, Oh yeah, this is so horrible. Well, and then the partner might not know how to give empathy. Like you said, it's yeah. a skill set that you learn. And like most of us, I can speak for myself. I didn't think when I, you know, there were things I was doing for the first time like, as an adult in, mm-hmm. in school in graduate school for mental health counseling and music therapy, like learning how to listen empathically. It's just not a skill set that most people are taught in, in our culture. Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of have the task of, learning that and spending years trying to learn how to respond in a kind of an empathetic manner. So So if that's what empathy and, and um, pity versus pity pity looks like, what what about the uh, kind of other areas where it's like, you know, perhaps empathy versus. Yeah. So kind of moving up in the level of involvement and Mm -hmm. engagement, the next one would be sympathy, which is basically kind of, feeling like you care and have concern for somebody and more like you wish them to be better. You wish for circumstances to be better for them or happier. And you kind of convey caring or concern like, oh my gosh, are you okay? You know, that kind of sympathy or, oh my gosh, that's awful. Like, I really want to see you, you know, be happier. Or I really wish I could see you in a better situation. I wish this didn't happen. To yeah, you. and, and yeah. I wish it didn't happen to you. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's a slight more uh, conveyance of feeling or emotion. And so we're we're getting closer to the person. The only thing is is that there's no distress in the other person, so they're not entering into any kind of other emotion that the other person is feeling. 
Mm. So they're expressing concern, but they're still distant emotionally. Okay. So and, and I think that's that's really, I mean, using that hospice um, kind of grief yeah. counseling kind of modality, I think sometimes that's how we handle things like grief, which it's we express sympathy. I mean, how many, how many times have I heard the sympathy card yeah. you know, right. that you mm-hmm. send someone after a death and, and you express your sympathies? Um, and and I actually, I actually think that's actually a very good thing. I wish more people would, as as someone who would have worked in this area for an ex, you know, exclusively for an extended period of time, I really wish that more people would extend sympathy and do sympathy cards and things like that in this area. But one of the struggles has been that um, that a lot of times we misunderstand that kind of that distance because look, I I can't I can't have my life ruined every time. A parishioner, right. a parishioner's uncle dies, right? right? So I have to be able to express sympathy. Yeah, um, absolutely. At times. Does that is that just me or my? No, I, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts. So I, I I'm not familiar with this framework of kind of least to most. I, I divide them up a little differently. Sure. So I'll let yeah. uh, after you finish. I, I, I have a few thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. Sympathy and empathy, but um, yeah, I'll I'll table it. But I'll say that um, what what gets called compassion fatigue in our field is actually mm-hmm. empathy fatigue. Oh. And we can return well, yeah, after absolutely. you're done yeah. with your. I want to hear. I like that statement. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm excited. And there's and there's neuroscience that. research to back that oh. up. Science. Science. Like no, not that you need that. I hate to play into <laughs> right. the hands of scientism, but there. Yeah. So before I actually get to compassion, I actually would like to define empathy okay. before I get to compassion. Um, and empathy is essentially a person's ability to recognize and share the emotions of another person or even being. So it could essentially people empathize with animals sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also it involves, you know, first seeing someone else's situation from their perspective. So kind of entering outside of themselves and really putting themselves into another person's yeah, kind of viewpoint, emotions, and sharing in those emotions, including any distress. So kind of that idea when I see like somebody being anxious and they share that anxiety with their spouse, you know, and that spouse then doesn't dismisses the anxiety or doesn't even show any distress towards that anxiety, right? So there might show pity or sympathy or none at all. Be, but what is really empathy is kind of even showing distress, like, oh, my gosh, you're anxious and I'm distressed because you're anxious. Mm-hmm. And so they, their emotions and their regulation kind of changes based off of another person's amount of distress. And what I like to even distinguish in showing empathy is that you don't have to agree with it. You have to enter into it, but you don't have to agree with it, if that makes sense. No. Same word. <laughs> Same word? Yeah. So even the example of anxiety, right? The spouse might not agree that that person should be anxious, that there's a reason to be anxious. They decide to enter into it anyways, though they might not agree with it. And they don't have to say, oh, yeah, you should be anxious in that. That's, you know... Like, continue to be anxious about that. Mm-hmm. They're not going to see that. They're going to say something more of along the lines of, you know what? Because of this and this, I can see how you're anxious and, and I'm getting, like, 
Oh, yeah. Worked up with you in a way right. or distressed with you because I know this is very hard for you and you really struggle with this. And so your anxiety kind of makes sense. You don't have to agree that they should be anxious, but you, you can still enter into it. Yeah, it's very non-combative mm. and non-argumentative, right? Like yeah. suppose you had a client, Sarah, that said, oh, my gosh, I just get so frustrated every time I think about <laughs> – Pope Benedict, he was just such, he was like trying to make the church just a bunch of rules, you know, just a bunch of rules we have to follow. And that's so annoying to me. You know, Pope Benedict, all he ever talked about was do this and don't do that. I wish you could be more accepting. You know, I say that because I know you like his encyclicals from time to time. I'm getting in the same boat as Sarah as you're saying that. I'm like, Oh. Well, and so, you know, you might be inclined to say, you've completely misunderstood the Pope Emeritus. He yeah. talks about love. He talks, you know, he doesn't, it's not about, no, but so that would be you arguing, right? To be empathic doesn't mean you agree. You could say like, oh my gosh, that is so frustrating for you. You don't want a bunch of rules. Yeah. You want right? some kind of freedom. You know, you're entering into their experience. You haven't agreed to any of their premises. You don't need to. Well, I would even be cautious about saying like, oh, like, yeah, I can feel that for kind of for you. Or like, you, I think, what did you just use? Like, I feel a little sad for you or something that like that. That must be frustrating for you. Frustrating yeah. for you. And, but the way you said it almost sounded like pity mm, in okay. a way. Okay. To me. I hear that. Whereas I would even enter into it more of thinking, you know what? Like, knowing what you've been through in your life, like, yeah, you really value freedom. Mm. And you really want somebody to understand and give you space for this. Or you felt really controlled all your life. So mm-hmm. I can see how Pope Benedict would really, like, make you feel that way. Like, oh, my gosh, yeah. Sure, yeah, you get right in there with yeah. them, right, in that space. Mm. You occupy that space with them without agreeing to their premises or agreeing with their conclusions. Okay. It sounds like empathy requires intimacy and knowledge of the other person. I, I would almost say at its deepest level, absolutely. What? Yeah. <laughs> the myth we were given in <laughs> our certain tech two classes with like advanced empathy versus simple empathy. And uh-huh. they would get onto that like real level of it. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that um, it does in the sort of higher, more intense kind of things, but I think really the therapist and by extension, uh, not, not just the therapist, but all soul healers, that's mm-hmm. what therapist means. Right. But all soul healers, whether that be priests, whether that be a laity, whatever that is, like they have to be content with entering in and understanding every human emotion, even if they don't agree with it. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And I think sometimes mm-hmm. there's this um, fear of sort of negative emotion sometimes where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, we can't go there um, for the, for the Christian where it's like, oh, well, in light of the resurrection and everything has to, you know, we have to just be all joyful all the time. And that's absolutely true where like a certain level of joy is really important, but also at the same time, I have to be able to understand how, you know, the pain of a death, you know, even if I'm not experiencing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I have to kind of enter into that yeah. um, as much as I possibly can. And so I think, Personally, I get really concerned when Christians and particularly therapists um, can't see even things that they don't agree with. They can't see kind of, well, I can I can understand that there is a way where I, too, could be in that situation myself. Well, mm-hmm. think about the practical import for evangelization. You know? we're, all, yeah. we're supposed to be all about the new evangelization. But so often I find that the evangelization, uh, apologetics in particular, looks like, you know, you kind of memorize a script and then the moment anyone says like the buzzword, 
you start to throw out the script without really understanding where mm-hmm. your interlocutor is coming from. I mean, if you, right. you know, everyone has a lifetime of experiences, a rich internal world, you know, their own desires and wishes. And no, they you, don't. Other people are super shallow and I'm super deep and they just need to understand yeah, where I'm coming from and then they'll be fine. How's that been working for <laughs> winning souls? <to> right. <laughs> Yeah, I want to say briefly about empathy and sympathy. One way I've I've kind of carved them out mm-hmm. is uh, sympathy is like a I, I've been through it too. I get that. Yeah. I've been through it too. Um, sorry, to, you know, yeah. sorry you're going through that. Empathy. Um, I really like Carl Rogers' definition of empathy. Carl Rogers <laughs> was the American psychotherapist who brought empathy and congruence and unconditional okay. positive regard yeah. into the into the, the four. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember when I started off as a therapist and those three were always in like my description of what kind of therapy I did. Uh, <laughs> it was like, like, yeah, I hope everybody does that. Yeah. But, but, know, yeah, but it was like yeah. the main, like, so, so let me just, pilot. let me just really quick say this. So Carl Rogers was the founder of, well, not really founder, but you know, kind of big movement within humanistic psychotherapy. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and humanistic psychotherapy being basically the big movement of, empathy and in the moment what is happening in the session yeah. as opposed to maybe a psycho an analytic or psychodynamic approach which is saying well how did it go in the past what was it like in the past how did you develop in the past it's very past oriented or perhaps even a cognitive or cognitive behavioral approach which is all about the future and all about you know kind of their humanistic psychotherapy is really about what are you experiencing here right in now, the moment yeah. right now listening to me talk and I will save my next comment for right after you do this. No, point, it's all right. It's it's all right. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's all good. It's funny. You know, the more I, the more I learn about psych, psych, psychoanalysis, the more I see that all the Carl Rogers stuff was anticipated. Uh, oh, absolutely. It's not like they didn't do empathy. You know, at any rate, here's Carl Rogers on empathy, <laughs> the ability to sense the clients or just person, right. It doesn't have yeah. to be a client to sense the client's private world as if it were your own without ever losing the as if quality. Hmm. For me, that's what differentiates. Can you read that one more time for the distractible deacon? Yeah, no no worries. To sense the client's private world as if it were your own without ever losing that as if quality. Right. Yeah, and I think, think, I think that? that last part, just really quick, I, I want to say that yeah, as if is really important because that comes into that compassion fatigue you yeah. know, in, in the long run, um, which we can talk about in a moment. But um, I think this kind of concept of humanistic psychotherapy and where he's kind of coming from is that Carl Rogers says that empathy is the thing that heals. Um, it is mm-hmm. the, the relationship that heals long before any kind of technique or anything else um, that mm-hmm. is kind of utilized. And I think Absolutely. that's why, yeah. that cog, you know, why, why you were so keen early on to kind of say that that's what you're doing because uh, Sharia is that it's yeah. like, that's the movement. That is the thing that's actually going to heal. Yeah. Really entering into that experience in even in the here and now. And I think that's a great Hmm. way to put that. And especially like, of course, I'm always thinking of like couples, (laughs) but when I think about even like conversations, like what you'll hear from other people, it's like, well, you weren't angry like a few minutes ago or like this didn't upset you or you didn't have a problem with this in like a year ago or a couple of years ago Hmm. or like bringing up the past a lot rather than staying in the here and now with each other. Or if like one person yeah. has some transgression and they're like, well, you did the same thing yeah. last week. Well, you know, it's not fair. Yeah. yeah. Instead of like staying in the moment yeah. in the concern and experience in the moment. Yeah. And that's what a lot of EFT does. 
Right. No, 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 that's exactly what I was kind of thinking is like, that's like foundational to the concept of EFT, um, that it really does enter into the moment and what you're doing with the client in the moment, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to sort of the other sort of psychotherapeutic uh, couples, couples counseling, where it's like, okay, here's a worksheet that you can then do at home and kind of work through that. And um, yeah, I think EFT is perhaps the long-term the child of humanistic mm-hmm. psychotherapy oh there's a lot of them that build on Carl Rogers I'm thinking oh, motivational yeah. interviewing uh, builds on Carl Rogers yeah. yeah well the, and the, let's talk about that as if quality I mean that's why right. you know therapists don't have to be you know and just realistically they can't be experts about every single problem yeah you know you can be a new therapist uh, out of grad school and you can do good work with clients with addictions and ADHD and depression and uh, relationship problems you know it's good to have additional training in those areas but you don't have to have personally experienced each of those problems in order to do the work so long as you know how to be uh, empathic right and that's at least the idea according to Carl Rogers so mm-hmm. you know when a client comes to me and says like I'm having this problem first of all as therapists, we, we tend to not self-disclose. But second of all, we don't need to be able to personally relate so long as we know how to enter into that as if it were our own without, mm-hmm. without ever losing that as if quality. So to make it theological, see if anyone can jump off from here. What's, what's like the ultimate example of um, someone entering into another's experience uh, from the outside, but taking it on as if it were his own? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe no, Jesus. Yeah. Maybe that say, one more. Guy. say more about that, Sarah. Why yeah, do you come say on, Sarah. Jesus? Let's, let's get some good Jesus examples of empathy because there, there's a lot. Yeah. Well, the primary example is the passion narrative. Um, and everything that happens within Christ's crucifixion. Yeah. Um, hmm. What's, what's the line? Uh, Deacon, correct me if I get this wrong. He who was not sin became sin for us. Yes. I feel, yep. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, sure you can. I think it's in Romans. Different translations. Pretty yeah. sure it's St. Yeah. Paul. It's something in one of St. Paul's letters. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that, that act of taking on what he has not experienced, actions that he has not done, and basically like – a following through to the logical end, to the end of mm-hmm. death, mm-hmm. Um, which is the end of sin mm-hmm. that we sin that we commit and the sin that is our responsibility and sacrificing himself on the cross for us, but then implementing mercy on top of that right. in the resurrection and opening the gates of heaven for us hmm. as well and yeah. reinstituting a new meaning to death. Absolutely. It's a lot. It's I actually, would, yeah, go ahead. You know, and in hearing that, um, we'll get to it later, but I actually think that the passion in Christ's deaths and even his suffering is more compassion rather than empathy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, and I was so surprised I he said the that. passion narrative. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I do see empathetic aspects to it. Um, but I do, I, I think one of the ways that 
I have conceptualized this would be the incarnation. Yeah, that's what um, I thought. You're though, though the passion certainly is still there, um, but I think the the in, well, the passion is the logical conclusion of the incarnation. That's fair. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the incarnation. I just skip to the end. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> skip to the the best part. Yeah, right? say more about why is the incarnation. Yeah. But you know, like the entire sort of well, the church fathers talk about this a lot. But you know, Saint Irenaeus of Lyon, um, who I. I I have found more and more quite interesting, actually. Um, he, he's he's a he's Latin. Cool. He's he a can Latin be forgiven father, for that. You can be forgiven for being for a Latin, Latin church father. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm. I don't. <laughs> nothing to be forgiven of. Irenaeus is a great middle name, by the way. Uh, it is, yeah. Um, but I think, um, um, but I think, you know, what he said, you know, throughout a number of times was that, you know, the reason for um, the incarnation was that God, kind of the classic phrase that he has is, God became man so that man might become God. Um, mm-hmm. And in a sense that God condescended to be completely in union with humanity, to mm-hmm. be completely part of humanity so that we can come closer and closer to right. God from a, from what we yeah. in the East would call theosis and what in the West would be called the beatific yeah. vision or heaven. Uh, yeah. And yeah. as you put it that way, I'm like thinking to myself, like, what is there of a more empathetic action? That's ultimate empathy. Yeah. Oh, like, holy other. God in yeah. heaven knows no physical pain, like no emotional sorrow right. as we have it, no I, loneliness. Yeah. I want to enter into everything you experience. So here I come. There you go. Yeah. Enter into it as fully yeah. as possible and Absolutely. then some, and then take on sin. Yeah. yeah. And I don't need to experience it. He doesn't need to experience it in the, in a way. Yeah. Right. And he, and he, exactly. He, and, and it's not that he commits sin or it's not that he, you know, God in heaven was, was very lonely. It's just that he, he enters into that in the, in the fully empathic sense of, of the other entering into the other's experience. For our benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Which and, is just mind blowing. And healing. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. And it's like transfiguration. But um, you just love throwing that word in every time you can. Um, So uh, a quick word on on compassion fatigue. Uh, Tanya Singer is a neuroscientist who's done a lot of research on this, and in particular, and actually training people in empathy and compassion. And the good news is that there are things you can do that you can increase Mm -hmm. those traits. So it's not like, oh, I was born with this much compassion, and that's all I have. You can increase it. And... um, Thinking about compassion as sort of well-wishing versus empathy as feeling the emotion of the other. Let's think about this. Why might empathy be more exhausting in the long run than compassion? Because it taps into your own emotions. And emotions, feelings are, feelings are a lot. Feelings are exhausting. Aren't they? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of burnout in our field. Let's be real. There's a lot of burnout in my day to day. There's a lot of burnout in the day to day. Yeah. It's hard. So. Just why we need sleep. Well, and that's why we have to be a little judicious with how much kind of empathy we dole out, right? Because if every single hour after hour a client comes in, and like our listeners who aren't therapists, you can relate to this if you have friends who come to you and want to talk. If you have kids, if you have... Yeah. Yeah. Constant constant empathy means constantly entering into someone's emotions, typically heavy negative emotions. Yeah. Feeling that all day long is, is too much. Absolutely. And most people don't want to do that for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. enter into their own negative emotions. They want to dismiss it, right? Instead of allowing themselves to even empathize with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With their own self. Like, oh yeah, it's okay. You feel this like, yeah, like, yeah, it makes sense. You feel this way. All this stuff's going on. And then you even feel the negative emotion, maybe even more or allow it to exist for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, it's tiring and sounds like more work. So but then it keeps coming up because they're trying to dismiss it. Yeah. 
Right. So, I mean, we even, you know, uh, I was at the, this internal family systems training where one of the exercises mm-hmm. was to pair up with someone and do, you know, 15 minutes of empathy, 15 minutes of compassion. It just feels so different viscerally. Mm-hmm. So now uh, since that training, I'm more, I'm more mindful with my clients. Like there are times when I need to dial it back and basically shift into a different like brain state, shift into some compassion. Because it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I can, yes, like you're going through a hard time. I, like, I would like to help and and I'm sorry you're going through a hard time. So maybe some sympathy mm-hmm. and, and I wish you weren't. And all of that is less exhausting than literally like entering fully entering into their yeah. like depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like have you read the experience when you're like hanging out with someone, you're with someone who, who has like severe depression or something, something. And it's like at the end of it, you, you feel like where they are and just like heavy. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And it's interesting. And if any therapists are listening, um, and I've even been reading uh, and watching on EFT, like groups and things like that. They'll actually space out, like if they have any individuals or different clients, and they'll purposely place them in their schedule oh, wow. because most likely all these client, all the especially the couples work. There's individuals as well, but most of the couples work is just always entering in. Mm. And so sometimes it's nice to plan of like, okay, what's a client I might not need to completely enter in their experience with to like insert into your day or making sure you have enough breaks afterwards. That's smart. Because, right. yeah. it's good. because otherwise, yeah, you'll completely fatigue out where you'll bring that emotional experience into your next session. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. It's hard to shake. Yeah. You, got, you know, emotions linger. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's also something that, individuals need to learn how to do is transition from interaction to interaction to not carry over the same emotions if they are empathetic. I think that's really interesting. Now, I'm curious, practical ways that you guys battle that kind of burnout, compassion, fatigue, which is really empathy, compete, mm-hmm. com- empathy, fatigue. There we are. Uh, it's been a long day. Um, I'm I'm fatigued. Um, but you know that that idea of how do you how do you guys practically do that um, kind of with mm. within the session? No, within maybe not, the I'm session? sorry, not within the session, yeah. but like um, outside of the session. Sure. So I actually have two two very distinct things that I do, um, especially after a very kind of pathetic or emotion focused session is I do a released um, exercise Mm -hmm. to where I take a couple deep breaths and I repeat release. And I just imagine like I even throw my hands Mm -hmm. like off of me Mm -hmm. or I might even jump up and down and like literally shake it off and just repeat the word release, have a couple deep breaths and do it until I feel different. Um, The other one is just even mindfulness of just orienting myself to uh, my own surroundings and then what I've got going on. Yeah. So those are very two. I like purposely do that before I do anything else. And it's conscious. Yes. And it's a conscious decision. Uh, yeah. And yeah. that's what the 10 minutes uh, in between sessions yeah. for, for therapists <laughs> yeah. is so you don't get, you know, and I think sometimes people are like, why not a full hour? Well, it's yeah. Like, Cause you don't want us to drag in last session stuff <laughs> in there. Chris, what yeah. do you do? Um, I do little, little rituals like uh, go get a cup of coffee yeah. Say some prayers, go for a short walk, read something. And then the other thing that helps me a lot actually is supervision because there I can bring some stuff up and I you have like another per So it's like, you know, the therapist is the receptacle for all the clients stuff. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then you need some, yeah, very, you know, self-censoring. And then you need 
it, it's like you have a weight on your shoulders. When you have a good supervisor, you have another person to share it with. Um, mm-hmm. So in good supervision, it's like, okay, now I have someone else to share that burden with. Now someone else is giving me the empathy that mm-hmm. I need. Now the whole thing feels lighter. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's about it. How about you, Sarah? Well, I'm not seeing clients yet. But I mean, let's talk about even, I don't know. I mean, you obviously, you know, you probably went into counseling because people probably find you helpful when they want to talk about their stuff. Yeah. Um, For myself, I'm a deep processor in general. So it'll take me, like, I'll think about a conversation for like a week and like just play with it in my mind and like just examine and have imaginary conversations just to explore more dimensions. Mm -hmm. Um. So as I think about preparing to see clients and I wonder what I want to do to not have that burden carry over into another session, um, I think about doing things like having a like client-specific journal mm-hmm. um, where I write down as many thoughts as I can. Um, and then the actions that I want to do to accompany that, to like – as you said, to release whatever mm-hmm. was just a given to you. Um, I think about things like lighting a candle and intentionally blowing it out um, mm-hmm. about intentionally nice. sitting down and saying 10 Jesus prayers sure. um, about maybe going for a walk um, yeah. or like maybe, maybe I'll find that I need more time between clients and I can't do 10 minutes a break. I need, maybe I need 30 minutes. Um, Sarah's practice is going to be like really hard to get into. <laughs> be like, uh, okay, I'm going to be seeing two clients today. So you got to get on the wait list. But she'll hey, be hey, hey, very empathetic. Three. Yeah. Very you know what you're, it reminds me of, uh, I guess take this as a quite a compliment, Sarah, but when you're saying you need time Uh-oh. to process apart from, you know, your interactions, I'm reminded of the way our Lord actually spent a lot of time alone in between his interactions with yeah. people. He would oh, retreat to be alone for a while, yeah. kind of, you know, be with the father and 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 renew his his resources and um he took naps contemplate and then go back right so, yeah. um that's actually a lovely you way have to something say. you want to say go ahead well, i was just going to say my side of how i fight yeah. against that but um you don't sure. need to you're just like I, superhuman i just yeah i'm just wow that's why we haven't asked you um no i i uh, i listen to comedy on the drive home i always nice. live, i live about 20 minutes away from all of our offices <laughs> um 30 minutes from some but that's great um, i always listen to comedy on the drive home um because i don't want to like bring all of this stuff in the <laughs> door and i find if i'm laughing out loud um on the drive home that it really just kind of yeah. transitions that away yeah so there, the drive there's, is helpful yeah the drive is very helpful there are some drives home that i can't listen to an audiobook <laughs> that it has to be something different yeah and then the times where i can't shake it off like i won't talk about it when i get home or if i'm gonna go see brian or my sick yeah, significant other of like, sorry. Yeah. People know. <laughs> People know. Uh, I'll just ask for a hug. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'd be like, it's been a day. Just give me a really long hug. Yeah. yeah. And, I did that. And that kind of resets me a lot. And then yeah. I just, I'm done. Yeah. You know what? I uh, The other day, I has anyone ever um, burned sage incense? Like what are you, sage? hippie? No. Yeah, it's well. I, I I was in the mountains in this mountain town, and they were selling these like these like culturally appropriated kits of like American Indian incense ritual. Basil's like shaking his head, but anyway, it was sage, and you put it yeah. under charcoal, and it burns, and it it was like 
you know, cleansing. It's like there's a, probably a reason why every pre-modern culture and the church incorporates like incense into yeah. her liturgical well, ritual. Incense is um, healthy, like for your brain. Like there's studies that show smelling incense decreases depression. There, there are. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I didn't even know that. Wow. But uh, it, you'd have felt really good by, by the amount of incense that you would really have to inhale um, before you see an yeah, effect. It would really be yeah. a significant, like, I would be concerned about other health effects <laughs> if you were really just, <laughs> well, please, please don't go and just, like, light up a bunch of incense, frankincense, yeah. just sit there and smoke <laughs> thinking that's going to take Essential oils. Yeah, I smoke that incense. Yeah, I smoke that incense. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. It's uh well, and even if it's just like placebo or whatever, you know, it's like so such a comforting little well, it's an ritual. Action. Well, it's yeah. an action. It's a somatosensory yeah. action. Mm-hmm. So I'd say to our listeners who are like perhaps feeling a little bit of empathy fatigue, find some nice rituals in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really like the hug example. Um, yeah. One of our last episodes on that we did together on the um, the shooting that happened, the school shooting. Oh, the, oh, yeah. the second lost yeah. episode. Oh, that's a lost episode. Okay, well, so so there was a a school shooting in in the Denver area this past spring, um, and some of us participated in a local church's um, kind of night of healing, and I met up with some friends after, Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't initially planning on going, but as I walked out of the church. Um, just after the couple conversations I had, I was like, no, I need to be around good people and I need a hug. And that's what I texted my friends and they were super awesome. And they like sat me down on the couch after a couple of big hugs and they're like, here's a blanket. I'll get you a glass of wine and here's some snacks. I was like, yes, this is perfect. I I went home from that night and got a hug too. I was like, it's like, give me a hug. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like Basil and I are like, I don't know about this. Like, I, yeah, hugs. I don't, <laughs> I do nothing. And don't feel long. emotions. I just get it all um, from, uh, yeah, I just get from my noetic prayer. No way. <laughs> yeah, I just transcend this yeah. earthly realm. Yeah. That's how I get my. I get well, hugs. We I, get hugs. I get hugs. So I, I actually don't think we officially define compassion. <gasps> no, we and don't. I would love Sarah to define this because. Oh. Well, we talked about it. In oh one yeah, of our, one of our uh, last says, podcasts. I didn't prepare. I just and I only know the I even, etymology. I even by have heart. it written down. If you need a reminder, yeah. What did I say? What compassion means the actual word. Oh, oh, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know this. I do know this. I was clever that day. Yeah. <laughs> compassion comes from the Latin uh, "compassion," which means to suffer with. Um, so, as opposed to sympathy, which is just. Um, feeling sorry or concern for the other um compassion com- compassion is to enter into the suffering of the person that sounds and, like and yeah it's well, very close and, and not actually so my con- kind of uh conception of compassion is actually it's kind of an elevated sense of empathy so you you understand what the person's going through and you might not necessarily like cry with that person, but in that sense, you are going to suffer with, mm-hmm. or you are really going to transcend their suffering and really make meaning out of it, or even share in their load. So kind of that idea of like, oh, you're experiencing anxiety. I'm going to suffer with you and be like, almost like take on that anxiety with you. And, 
or hmm. so in this I instance, I am going to like carry that cross with you, yeah. or I am you are suffering, and I'm going to suffer for you. Right. So really kind of elevating it to this like universal transcending, which is what Christ does. Mm -hmm. Of yeah, kind of yeah, this okay. universal transcendence of like compassion for everybody, of taking on everybody's suffering and everybody's sin. Yeah. Okay. So I definitely uh, yeah. jumped the gum earlier when I yeah. started with the passion narrative. Passion narrative uh, is definitely more compassion. The compassion narrative. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and for and even, our listeners, even suffer uh, with or even suffer for. Yeah. Suffer with, for, which is what place. Christ did. Yeah. Our, I mean, our listeners might be clued in already to the fact that you know you ask ten different um, psychologists and you'll get ten, 10 different, different answers. There's you know <laughs> I, I, there's that popular Brene Brown video where she defines these things totally differently oh, than we are. Oh, that's super cute. I really like that bears. video. Yeah. So, so we're, yeah, maybe we need to even do a follow up or we each need to do a series individually because it sounds like in some ways we actually have our own schema sure. for these things. So, yeah. or just yeah. watch the Brene Brown uh, video well, and smile well, th at the cute bear. I think she's wrong in an, in, in an important way, but Ooh. that's fine. Um, Ooh. So, okay. So for you, so, so, yeah. so for Tanya Singer, compassion is, is mm -hmm. sort of this well wishing that doesn't involve the emotional, um, burden but uh, what i'm hearing is for for you for both of you uh, compassion involves like an elevated empathy yeah okay. and, and that's, that's for me that well wishing is more sympathy okay okay um different words for different yeah. concept okay yeah um okay. I, have, I have a quote really quick that i want to read you that has uh, a lot to do with empathy and compassion and then uh, i'm not going to tell you who it's from and then we can have a good laugh about who who wrote this but i found i encountered this recently and i found this to be one of the most beautiful early christian expressions of empathy and compassion it just blew me away so okay well you gave us a hint read it's it early christian or it's early christian so read it and and shed tears for how beautiful this is ready he is a christian who follows the way of christ who imitates christ in all things as it is written he who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He is a Christian who shows compassion to all, who is not at all provoked by wrong done to him, who does not allow the poor to be oppressed in his presence, who helps the wretched, who accounts the needy, who mourns the mourners, who feels another's pain as if it were his own, and who is moved to tears by the tears of others, whose house is common to all, whose door is closed to none, whose table no poor man does not know, whose food is offered to all, whose goodness all know, and at whose hands no one experiences injury, who serves God day and night, and who ponders and meditates upon his commandments unceasingly. Hmm. Can, I, can I make a guess? Is it Evagrius? It's not Evagrius! Oh. <laughs> Well, first of all, does everyone agree with that? Does it sound yes. nice? Okay. Augustine. Because it's one of those things where you have to. I read the quote. I read the quote first so that we didn't all write it off. Is it Origen? I was very disappointed to discover this is from Pelagius. Ah! <laughs> but it's such a beautiful quote. Okay, and I stand wait, wait. That by means we have to define what Pelagianism is. Yeah, he was watching the time. He was like, an early heretic and. Uh, and uh, was wrong about, about a lot of stuff, but even a broken clock is right twice a day. Um, what is Pelagianism about I'm, again? Is that the it works apart to, from grace? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You have to earn well, salvation. Basically. All right. Well, we it is officially time to call it. Oh, what? Yeah. Well, if people have any questions about any of what we spoke about, please message us and message us on the catholic psyche.com yeah. and under the contact us page and Absolutely. it's good to be back in the saddle guys thank you so yeah. much yeah, more yeah. coming soon Bye.